0: Which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org stoneorg or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John 15, the last three weeks. Last ten weeks, we've been in a course called Foundations, and we looked at a lot of theology. We looked at a lot of, if you want to say technical stuff, you know what why can we say that Christ is the only way? And not just that it's one of the many ways. And we look through a lot of theological truths as foundational parts of our beliefs. But the last three weeks we said we really wanted to let that theology become very practical and the way that we would live our life out. And John 15 is a wonderful place where we can do that because in John 15, this is just hours before Christ actually goes to the cross and dies on Calvary to rise again three days later and to bring about all this truth that we just sang about. But... Hours before, he's having this last time with the disciples, and he's teaching them, and this was part of the teaching. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, if you have, uh, as you open your Bible to John 15, we said, as far as I know, it's the only chapter in the entire Bible that if you have a Bible that's written in red for the words of Christ, that every bit of this chapter is red, because this is nothing but Christ and his words. And so we look at these words of Christ... And in those words of Christ, he's basically telling us about three different relationships. First and foremost, he talks about abiding in him. He said, I am the true vine, not just the vine. He said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And he kind of gives us this foundation of Christian living, that there's no way that we can live the Christian life apart from being a branch connected and abiding in this vine. He said, you can do some moral things. You can make choices that reflect a Christian morality, but you cannot live in the power of this relationship unless you're connected to me. Then he goes on after he's established that life in Christ, abiding in Christ is essential to living out the Christ life. Then he goes into our relationship with others. And we saw last week that he basically tells us, okay, as I have loved you, now you love one another. And there was a lot of other things with it. But basically, he wasn't just telling us, as we said last week, to become better lovers. Before, I couldn't stand you, and now I can tolerate you. That's not what he was talking about. He's going, okay, if you're going to truly pray for your enemy, if you're truly going to love one another with the gracious love that Christ has for you, the only way you can do that is you love them with my love. Every one of us have been challenged to love some people. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, some people are just hard to love. I would say humanly that some people are impossible to love. And yet they don't get on this excluded list when it comes to our life in Christ. Christ will give you an ability, supernaturally, not naturally, to love those that naturally you would not love. It's the only way that we're going to be able to forgive those who really do not deserve forgiveness. And yet we didn't deserve forgiveness, and yet Christ forgave us. And so it all comes back to a vine, a branch, being connected to this vine. Well, now he comes to the third part, the third relationship, and this is by far, I think, the hardest one to preach. Not because there's a lot of deep theology, not because it's difficult to understand, but because it goes against our human nature so much. How many of you like to be hated by other people? some of you may not mind being hated you know i'm going to stand for no matter what i'm going to stand for what i believe in and and that's one thing but none of us can you remember being in middle school oh my goodness everything was about i mean the world lived or died by your by others and their acceptance of you and and just you know and i'm not so sure that we grow out of that guys that as we get older, that all of a sudden we're really not 12 or 13 inside, that all of a sudden we're going, I don't care what people. I've heard people say that they don't care what other people think about them. And sometimes deep down, those are the people that care the most. You know, they just kind of put on this kind of rough exterior. Bottom line, none of us like to be hated. And yet the challenge of the scripture today is Jesus says, basically, if you're following after me, not just if you have this name, Christian, but if you're truly following after me, if you're living the life that I've called you to live, the world will hate you because the world hated me. And so it goes against the grain of anything that we've really ever been taught. I remember uh, when my daughter, you know, parents, we have so much wisdom. And uh, one time she came home from middle school and the girls had not been their friends that day. Her inner circle had not been the friends. And every guy in here kind of gets that, but every girl in here definitely gets that, okay? And how it can change on a dime. And so she was kind And I had this great parental wisdom. Now, all you young ladies, how would this have worked if I was your dad? Well, if that's how they're going to be, you don't really want them for friends anyway. Doesn't that sound like a dad thing? And in one way, is there great truth in that? Yes. And another way, when you're 12, 13, and your kids that you always hang with don't want to hang with you that particular day, does that make sense at all? No. And I, I got that look from my daughter that I was the most confused, unteachable dad human being in the world. Kind of like, Dad, you just don't get it. And in a way, I don't. Because I had left being 12 or 13. And I'd reached a place in my life where I could say, you know, if they don't like me, then they're lost. But I promise you, when I was 12, 13, 14, 8 or 9 or 10, that is not the way I felt. We are wired to be liked. We actually sell ourselves out sometimes to be accepted and to be part of a group. Even if we don't agree what that group stands for, just so that we can have people that will hang with us and that we are friends with. And so we open up the Bible this morning and we begin to see that John says, uh, Jesus says in John fifteen eighteen, If the world hates me, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And in case we just kind of said, well, maybe we don't know the full context of that. No, we know the full context. They're about to hang Jesus on a cross, guys. They're about to put him through the unbelievable. He's about to live what hatred really looks like. And yet what he's telling all of these guys that have followed him for the last three years, because that's who's assembled together, is 11, not 12, by this time, one is, Judas has already left. And so he's teaching the 11. And he says, look, I just want you to know what's coming. Later on, when this same John would, would write later on, remember we said that he was probably about 90 years old when he wrote 1 John, Second John, Third John. When you, he, so he's older and mature. And I wonder if he later on in life looked back and said, you know, Jesus really got this wrong. First John. Chapter 3, verse 13. What did he write as a 90-year-old, now living the last 40, 50, 60 years of Christian experience in a world? What did John write later on? This same John who's recording this for the gospel, what does he write later on to the Christians? He doesn't recant what Jesus said. He doesn't say, you know, I found that not to be true. No, no as he's kind of going out at 90 years old, you're living on every day, okay? And as he's kind of going out of this world, he keeps on using these terms, beloved, brother, and all these endearing terms. And in this endearment that he's writing to these, to the church, to the Christian, to the body of Christ, he says, guys, don't don't be surprised. Here's what I've learned in 90 years since I heard Jesus say this, all the way back before the cross, I found it to be true. Don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. That's a, that's a hard saying, because none of us have been wired to be hated. We want acceptance. So why did Jesus tell us this? Well, like we've said the last couple of weeks, we love those professors that tell you right up front, this will be on the test. And so we saw back in verse 11, he says, here's what I want you to know. I've told you this so that you might have my joy and that your joy may be full. He's telling us all these things so that we can be people that are joyful people. But now on this part, look next chapter, look at chapter 16, just kind of cheat ahead a little bit and look at verse 1. And he's telling us why he is telling us that people are going to hate us. The world is going to hate us. What does he say in John 16, 1? I have said all these things to do what? To keep you from falling away. Let's go back to our illustration of a professor and a test. Jesus is saying, okay, there's a test coming up, guys. And I desperately want you to pass the test. But it's going to be a a test because it's going to go against your nature. You want to be loved. You don't want to be hated. And so everything in your fiber and your being and your natural self wants to fit in. And he said, this world is going to hate you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you stand for me. And so he said, I'm just trying to tell you right now how to be able to keep from falling away. As we understand that, all of a sudden we begin to understand why Christ would be so explicit in these verses. See, we we see here what we often forget or even reject, that when we really stand for Christ, this is not church attendance, this is not kind of looking like a Christian or saying when you fill out a form, Christian as opposed to non-Christian or something but you're really a follower of Christ as best as you can. You're trying to take the teaching and the ways of Christ, and you're trying to die to self every day and live for Christ. When we really do that, Jesus wants us to know that this is really a hard teaching. But he's preparing us to pass the test. He said the reason why is because the more that you live in the light, it exposes darkness. I had a really good buddy this week. went to go see his family and he brought light into the darkness and it broke his heart and we talked on the phone and I could tell that my brother is just heartbroken because he so much wants his family to know Christ this is what Jesus is talking about this isn't us going around going you know you're in darkness and I'm much better than you because I live in the light there is nothing proud about this. There is nothing arrogant about this. This should be the most humbling thing about our Christian life. That somehow God in His grace and His mercy has called me a sinner to come into His light and, and to have an understanding that I didn't have before. So don't see this as judgmentalism. See it as an invitation for what it is. An invitation to die to self. I mean, when you're recruiting somebody for the team... Any team. You always tell them, let's say that you're uh, somebody that you go up there, Daniel, I know you hire a lot of people in your job. You you hire a lot of people, okay? Are you going to tell them the good things about the company or the really bad things about the company? I know what you're going to do. I say, man, here's here's our profits over the years. Here's how we do uh, uh, profit sharing. Here, You know, you're going to say all these good things that are benefits to them because you're trying to entice them to be a part of this company. You're not going to say, well, you know, the failure rate of most people. Most people, are, you know, get fired within the first three months. You're not going to talk about all these other things that may be challenging part of that work. Many of you in here are teachers. You do it because it's a call upon your life. Not because they said, you know, man, you're just going to be happy all the time. Facing the challenges of dealing with all these kids and the challenges of their life, but much more, even their parents. Now you do it because there's a calling upon your life and it truly is a sacrificial call. The call of Christ upon your life. He was right up front. Folks, he never sold you a bill of goods that he didn't tell you right up front. Here's what it's going to cost you. It means that you're going to have to die daily. Take up your cross daily. It's, It's a call to die and here a call to be hated. It's not what you would put on a promotion poster. But because Christ loved you so much, he tells you right up front, he tells the disciples, you follow me? Understand, this is a pretty challenging life at times. And then he tells us three different reasons why the world will hate us. So if you are a note keeper, if you want to use that part in the bulletin there on the back, here's the three things that we'll look at in the verses of what Christ said. He said, number one, they're going to hate you because they hated him. And if you're connected to Him, and you look like Him, and you're acting like Him, if they hated Him, they're going to hate you. The second thing is that because Christ's disciples are not of this world, what does that mean? We'll look at that in just a second in verse 19. And then in verse 21, he says, because the world does not know God. What does that mean to not know God? These are the three reasons why God's, why Jesus said that the world would hate us. Now let's kind of look into that. Let's go back to verse 18. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Have you noticed in, at least in American culture, I can't speak widely of the other cultures around the world, but at least in American culture, Have you noticed that we have a toleration for about any kind of belief except for Christian belief? Have you noticed that, especially in the last... If we had the Church of the Golden Unicorns, man, bless you. Do y'all need tithes and offerings? I'm not trying to be silly. Really, you can have the craziest things out there and the world is not offended by that. They're not offended by belief... They're really not offended by religion. They're offended with Christ. And Christ tells us why. He says, because when I came, I was light in the darkness and my light exposed the dark that was there. Folks, we don't like that. That goes contrary to our whole human nature. That if I'm doing something in the dark, the last thing that I want is somebody to turn on the light and expose my wickedness, my sinfulness, my fallenness. It's the last thing I naturally wanted. And so Jesus begins to to show us here, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He's not seeking pity. He he is not saying, you know, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. He's just, I want you to know that the Christian way is not what the world often thinks. The Christian way the world thinks is, you know, if everybody just can hold hands and sing Kumbaya... You know, we're just going to get in a big circle now. And a lot of people think that that's what Christianity is. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Now, I'm going to talk to everybody who's 55 or older now. Not to exclude the others, but this is going to be, you're going to look at this and go, oh, they had video back then? Um, How many of you, before we even show it, remember 1971 was the year And they gathered all these young people from all over the place and put them on a mountain in Italy, and it was a Coke commercial. Do you remember that? You know? And it's, if you want perfect harmony, here's what you do. You just give everybody a Coke. And we all sit there, and all these people from all over the world will just kind of fall in. Now, again, 1971, so I'm going to play this video this is what a lot of people think Christianity is. That somehow, that we are just, you know, we just hold hands, drink a Coke or a Diet Coke. And magically, mystically, we're just one big happy family. Can you go ahead and play that? It's bringing back a lot of memories to a lot of people right now. <laughs> When I was a kid, now I was nine years old when I saw that. That's how old I would have been in 1971. You can do the math, okay? I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. There was something in my nine-year-old mind that said, isn't that what the world should be like? And isn't that what God really wants? That all of us just kind of stand together, drink a Coke... Speak one language from all over the world, and we just smile and honeybees and all the other things that they talked about. Only when I grew up, I began to see what Christ really said. The Christianity was, and it wasn't that He's a hateful person, that He's purposely divisive. He just said, "Man, if you really follow Me, it's not going to be like that." Look, look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-four. Feel free to go back and read the entire context. I hate ever taking one verse and you not seeing all that's around there because we always want to take the scripture in context. Go back later and read all of Matthew chapter 10 and you'll see how profound this is, how much he's really instructing us that this whole thing about walking with Christ, that it's not going to actually always bring people together. It may actually sometimes divide even families. Look what he said. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Is that shocking to you that Jesus said that? Because, I mean, for the most part, we think he's up there the one handing out the Cokes. Oh, Diet Coke? Sorry. And we think that that's really what kind of, sometimes if we just kind of keep this minimalistic view of Christianity, that it's just that we should have this kind of kumbaya experience and everybody in the world just kind of get together. And he says, look, even though God is not willing that any would perish and that all would come into eternal life, he said because of the free will of man and the rejection and rebellion of man, not everybody's going to do that. And when you come, even sometimes in that passage, he talks about how sometimes brothers will be against brothers and and children will be against parents and parents against children because when we live for Christ, we authentically follow Christ, there will be some that say, okay, that's not for me. And some will politely say, I don't want that to be be that let's not talk about that others will be a little bit more exact and say don't be bringing that stuff around here and many of you have maybe experienced that and you've seen the shocking reality of what christ told us back there now let's go to verse 19 back to john 15 verse 19 if you were of the world, and the word, that, the word that he uses there, cosmos, is he's talking about those people that do not know Christ. He's not talking about the generic world. He's talking about those who do not know Christ. Okay, We could say non-Christians. Okay? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Very important part here that he says, "Okay, look, you were in the world; that's where you were, but I I opened your eyes to the beauty of the gospel." He chose us; the olet, whole different sermon when we get into that. But he says, basically, you know, you could not have come to me but unless I showed you the beauty of this gospel. And so he said, "Now you are part of this. You're not of the world." A further clarification is seen in verse 22 a little bit later on when he says that the world would not be guilty had he not come. He wasn't saying that sin didn't exist until it came. He said, again, light in the darkness, that my light exposed the depravity of man. Look what he says later on, verse 19 and 20. I'm sorry, John three nineteen and 20. Go back to John 3. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his works be exposed. In a way, doesn't this, is this the Christianity that we kind of portray today? We really want a softer, kinder Christianity. And, and, and he's not talking about a mean Christianity, he's not talking about a judgmental Christianity, he's not talking about being offensively, just going after me. he's just saying, guys, when you live for me, there's going to be people that don't live for me, and they're not going to like some of the things that you say. I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan, I don't know if you listen to Dave Ramsey, but I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan, and um, Dave Ramsey is uh, a financial guy, and but he makes no ifs, ands, or buts about it, that he's a Christian. He will talk about that he is an evangelical in his beliefs, and he kind of starts and ends the show with that. And so there's, you know, you get this feeling, okay, he is coming from a Christian perspective. And people call in, and I was listening Thursday as I was traveling somewhere, and this guy calls in. and He says, you know, here's my dilemma. We're this much in debt, da da da, da. My girlfriend is now, we're, we're having our second child. And he starts to go down this. And Dave Ramsey, he can be pretty bold, said, and now when are you going to get married? And the guy said, that's not why I called. And he said, no, I'm, he said, you know, I'm an evangelical Christian, but I'm not even coming just from the moralistic background that this is my personal belief. He says, I've got tons of data. The empirical data says that when you do it this way, you turn out this way. In other ways, God's way is right. He wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to crush this person. He wasn't trying to be judgmental. He was just saying, this is what I believe, not just because I'm an evangelical Christian. Well, the next hour in the podcast, people must have called in left and right. I just can't believe that you just would say that. And if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, if you've ever listened, he doesn't back down from a fight real easy. And he just says, you know, number one, What show is it? Oh, it's the Dave Ramsey show. (laughs) Number two, I tell you right up front, I am an evangelical Christian. But he said, you know, I'm trying to do this with love, but I believe it's the right way. You're going to do what you're going to do, but I believe it's the right way. And it would be unloving for me not to tell you the right way if I believed it was the right way. Do you get that, guys? That in a world where we want peace and we just want everybody to grab a Coke and sing a song, that if we live out the life of Christ, not again in a judgmental way, not in this arrogant way, not in some kind of a pious way, but if we just live out the love of Christ, there's going to be times in our life, even with family, where we're just going to have to do what Christ told us to do. And sometimes even family members may be offended by that doesn 't make us better just makes us that we 've decided to follow christ verse twenty one he 's not calling for us just to say let 's water down everything let 's not call anything sin. Look what he says. He tells us why the world does not know god uh, verse twenty one but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know God. If you know God this morning, this is not a point of arrogance for you. This is not a point for you to get up here and say, well, I know God and you don't, and look down upon people. If you know God this morning, it should be the humility that characterizes the rest of your life. Every waking moment, every synapse and firing of thought that you have should come through the filter that I was one of those that was resting in my sin. And by the love of Christ, He would die for me and allow me to have forgiveness of my sin and a life with God. That humility should be characteristic of every single Christian. When we read this hard passage, because we don't like to be hated, but when we go out there and live the Christian life, it is not to point fingers and to do it. But the natural, the supernatural light of Christ in our life, when we just do the right things, all of a sudden, there's going to be some people say, you know, let's just not invite him next time. When I kind of turn my life around between my junior year and my senior year, I mean, I don't know that there's a list out there, but I was scratched off a lot of lists. The shame is I was on a lot of those less than my junior year, and yet I had known Christ since I was 12. And yet popularity, belonging, not wanting to be hated, I sold out so many of my convictions. I was the most unhappy guy there Friday night because I couldn't enjoy my sin. And I was the most miserable guy in the church on Sunday morning because I couldn't enjoy my righteousness in Christ. And by the mercy of God and by the grace of God, he took me in between that junior and senior year, and he began to show me what life in him really was, what it really was like to be a branch connected to this vine and not just doing moralistic things. And I began to find John fifteen eleven joy in my life because he wanted me to have the fullness of joy because my life was in him. Does that make sense at all? I ain't talking about myself. I, I mean, I, I. But I mean, I don't know your story. I don't know when it was for you. But maybe you had one of those moments too. This is not a call for us to be arrogant. This is a call for us, the people of God, to be the most humble people on earth, the most loving people on earth, but to stand hard for Jesus Christ. Look what Paul. Look how Paul described our life before Christ and after Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll close. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were what? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath. He said, this is who you were, Bobby, before I opened your eyes to the beauty of my gift of my son, and I showed you that there could be another life. I was a child of wrath, and now I'm a child of the living God. This is not a call to arrogance. This is a call to the maximum humility. God, why would you give me that grace? Because he says, this is where I was before. Look down at verse 4. Look at the first two words. Sherry, two of our favorite words in all the Bible. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. By grace, we've been saved. Amen, church? This is not a call for arrogance. This is not a call for judgmentalism. This isn't walking into the office tomorrow and going, okay, the Christian sheriff is in town. Line up. Now, in humility, we go out and we just love people, but realize that sometimes when we really do stand for Christ, some people are not going to love us back. In fact, it may be even that much more aggressive. They may actually hate us. That's why throughout the Bible, God calls it a blessing to be hated on His by, for his sake. You would have been really hard-pressed to convince me of that at 12 years old. And to be totally honest, except for the Spirit of God, you'd be very hard-pressed to, to convince me that at 57. Because so I'm not lying, guys. I, I still like to be liked. One of you comes to me and says, well, I, I just really don't like you. I won't sleep well good tonight. You know, I, I just will oh. not I mean, there may be part of me that's mature enough to say, like my daughter... Well, then they're not really your friends and you're better off without them, them. Advice is great to give until you have to live it. But this is where I want you to see the last verse there. Look at John 15, 26. Because I still, as a 57-year-old, struggle. I want to be liked. Naturally, there's everything in my fiber says I, I want people to like me. How do I stand for Christ knowing that sometimes it's going to divide me even to family. How do I do that? Look at the last verse there, verse 26. But when the helper comes, do you know who the helper is? The Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper. He said, you want to know how to pull this off? You know how to pull this off? Well, you just convince yourself that it's okay not to be like? No, he said, the Holy Spirit, I will come and live inside you. And I will give you right thinking when your natural thinking wants to give in to your convictions and to live this other way. For all of our students here this morning, I wish, I wish that I could impart to you the strength to walk solidly in your convictions of Jesus Christ that I did not do into my senior year. And yet I realize that that's a maturity that God's going to bring upon you. But I, I would beg of you today to, 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 to look back and to understand somehow that if they're only your friends if you do this, if they only like you when they do this, to find the strength of the very Spirit of God. If, you, if you're a Christian, you have the very Spirit of the living God living within you and call upon that Spirit and say, God, will you help me? Will you empower me to stand? Because it's hard to stand alone as a 7th grader or a ninth grader or a 4th grader or an 11th grader. And I would pray that strength for you so that you would have victory and that you would be a light in the dark you just know the very power of this living God. But adults that are here, would you agree that on some level we still deal with this desire to be liked? Do we need the Holy Spirit's power to live this calling at your age? Yeah. So this isn't not about our students standing up for peer pressure. It is that, but it is us as the body of Christ saying, God, will will you give me the ability to stand for you. Will you fill me with your spirit? Because there's still a part of me that I just want everybody to like me. There's a part of me that wants to grab a Coke and everybody sing Kumbaya. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. Father, this is a hard teaching. Not because it's difficult, not because it's just something, Father, that you made uh, impossible to understand, but Father, we are so wired by our human nature. Father, to want to be liked, and it's so hard To think that if we take a stand for you that sometimes it may actually draw a line and there would be people that would hate us for that very fact. We need, Father, the power of your spirit to stand with you. Father, I pray for our students today. I wouldn't want to go back to be in the 7th grade, 10th grade, 4th grade for anything in the world. My heart breaks for them. And yet, Father, I know that you will empower them and you will help them to stand in their school and follow hard after your son. But Father, I pray for all the adults here because, Father, we just admit it, we don't lose this automatically because we got a diploma in our hand. So, Father, will you help us to follow hard after you? To stand for you and with you? even if it cost us relationships. We love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. And we thank you for your word. It's a tough word, but it's a good word because it's from you. We pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen.